Hello and welcome to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. Our focus here is to connect, equip, and multiply churches with a vision to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches amongst all people. Today we're going to be hearing from Casey Johnson. Casey's the Director of Church Multiplication here in the Forest Lakes District. We're looking forward to discussing the topics of church multiplication and discipleship. So let me first say, um, I am encouraged that we are actually one of the, the largest uh, workshops today, um, because anytime you put church multiplication in a title, usually nobody shows up. Um, and even I thought, well, if I do discipleship and I talk about how that could lead to more churches being multiplied, uh, maybe we'd get some more people, but, but typically we, we like to think that uh, we do a pretty good job of discipleship, like maybe we don't need any work there. So I'm encouraged that you're here. Um, I would love to find out who you all are and why you're in this workshop today, but if we did that, there would be no time left for, for anything else. So let me just say I appreciate you being here. Um, I grew up in a free church in Stoughton, Wisconsin. It was called Calvary Evangelical Free Church. It's called Lakeview Church now. Uh, that was the, the church that I, I met Jesus in and uh, grew up in the free church. I loved the free church. I was a, an Iwana leader. I remember even bringing our team to uh, the Iwana Olympics, if you've ever been a part of that. So grew up free church is where I, I kind of fell in love with Jesus, but I really didn't follow Jesus until much later on in my life when I kind of tried to plug that, that hole with, with everything else that life offered and found out I was still empty. And I uh, kind of, finally surrendered my life to God when I was in my 20s and uh, was baptized at that point. So I had a good foundation of growing up, I had a good foundation of the free church, uh, but I worked in uh, non-denominational churches and with other denominations for several years, and I was reintroduced to the free church. I was at Exponential, which is the largest church planning conference in the world. If you've ever been there, it's um, it's quite the experience. you got to you know, chew on everything and spit out the bones while you're there, but they offer a lot of great things. But I was invited to a pre-conference workshop with the Free Church, and that's where I, I fell in love with the Free Church all over again. And one of the reasons I did that is because in the conversations I had, they would always talk about like, yeah, we're a church who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples, and you probably heard that language yourself. It's what we talk about a lot. And I can say that like from working with lots of denominations and associations and networks, like, I really do think that we do one of the best jobs of making disciples. But, I'll throw a but in there. I think these last few years have revealed some cracks. And I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but I feel like when we had, you know, COVID and we talk about masks and social distancing and vaccinations and then there's all the racial tension and all the political strife, all of a sudden we look at our churches and, and I think, they're not really looking at the world through a biblical lens, are they? They're not really affected by the gospel as deeply as they should. And for me as, as a pastor during that time, well, we've been with the district for the last year, but it, I really took that hard because I really felt like our church was doing a better job than, than a lot of churches in our city, but I really felt like we had failed to produce something that we should have been producing. We saw that with fighting and elder teams and all these networks that I'm talking to people. We saw people leaving churches because they were wearing masks or they weren't wearing masks. And like, have we lost what is, is really important in this? So it was during that time is when God really started instilling this idea of, oh, we really need to go back to making disciples. Like, maybe we just wipe the chalkboard clean of what we're doing and really have a genuine focus on making disciples who look more like Jesus. I'm a high, high school golf coach, and um, I was listening to a guy on a podcast once, and he was interviewing the top 100 coaches throughout the U.S., and one of the guys that he interviewed, he said, I, I don't teach golf. And, he, and uh, the guy was like, well, we, we got the wrong guy here. These are supposed to be top 100 teachers. And he said, I teach people how to play golf. What do you do? And we, we forget sometimes in the church that we are, we are in the people business. Like that is, that is why we're here. We're to develop people and, and to help our people develop other people. And I feel like looking back 
at our, at our history and what we actually do. Sometimes we develop people to just come into our churches and we, we make conversions and we plug them into a small group and then they serve on a Sunday morning and that's where it ends. Like that's kind of the end all. Like if they're serving on a Sunday morning. But we need to make disciple makers. Like if we want to see our world transformed, we need to make disciple makers who are not just plugged in. I mean, we hope they're serving on a Sunday morning, right? That's, that's not a bad thing. But we need to send them into the workplaces, into the gym and all the places so they can make disciples as well. So what I'm going to do in the beginning, um, I am going to do a lot of problem casting. Uh, and I feel like we need to do some problem casting before we can do some vision casting. Uh, and the problem casting, it probably isn't going to be very fun. And I'm going to speak a lot of it through my experience and a lot of what I see in other churches that I'm networking with. And then we're going to talk about a, a little bit of vision casting and then a little bit of practical stuff at the end. We'll have time for some, some question and answer. Uh, throw me some softballs because uh, I don't want any hard, hard pitches. Um, but I'm going to try to allow some, some time in the end. We're going to do some practical stuff, hopefully come up with some ideas. This is obviously not the place in an hour workshop where we're going to figure it all out, right? But what I want to do is just kind of instill that seed inside of you so that you've been thinking and then maybe invite some other leaders from your churches into it. And we can start thinking about a better way to make disciple makers so that our, our state is transformed by the gospel. <clears throat> all right. So I talked a little bit about like how these last few years have kind of exposed some cracks. Um, but this is, this is before COVID even hit, the, like these, these cracks were beginning to be exposed. There was a Barna research group. If you've ever heard of Barna, I'm sure all of you have because you're, you're pastors or ministry leaders, but Barna research did some research and they, they asked people in churches, like members of churches and church leaders how they felt like the church in general was doing in the area of making disciples. And I thought the results were, were fascinating. And this was this big study, if you, you can look it up online, and there's a lot more that are revealed about uh, making disciples, but I'm just gonna share one component of that with you. And the interesting thing was is that 92% of people that attended churches thought when they looked out at the landscape of the church, that the church was doing a good job of making disciples. And then they asked the leaders of the churches how they thought the landscape of the church was doing making disciples. So 92% of the members in churches, what do you think the percentage was for leaders in churches? 18%. Wow. Yeah, it, it was 1%. 1% of leaders thought that the, the landscape of the church was doing okay. Now, if they looked at their own church, they thought 8% of them thought that their own church was doing a pretty good job. When they looked at the landscape of churches, 1% thought that they were doing a good job of making disciples. Now, that's a, that's a huge contrast. you got 92% of the people in the churches and 1% of the leaders in the churches. Like, that, that's a huge contrast, isn't it? Um, so, in, in one way, you have disciples who think, we're doing pretty good. We've kind of arrived. Like, we're feeling pretty good. We're, we're, we're good enough. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're fine. And then the leaders who actually have to shepherd and walk with these people are going... We're not doing a great job. And this is before everything that I just mentioned. 2015, this is before COVID, before the racial tension, before this um, gender dysphoria stuff we're going through, before, I mean, before all of that. Like, if we were to redo that survey today, coming out of this side of these last few years, what would that percentage be today? That's a big deal. Perhaps we're not doing as good a job of making disciples. Even when we say we're churches that make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Let me just speak from just a personal standpoint and some of my observations. From a church planning perspective, now I've only been on this role since January of this year, uh, but the churches we've planted over the last couple of years and even this year are churches that were kind of in the pipeline or started the pipeline before these last few years hit. Uh, and what we're seeing now is, is in our pipeline, it is beginning to dry out. It's beginning to dry out. The well is, is beginning to dry out. Because anybody who feels called to plant a church right now is somebody who felt that calling during this COVID season. And there's not a lot of people that said, Wow, that sounds like fun. Sign me up for that. 
Uh, the only, um, our all people's groups, that, that is really a lot of the church planting we're seeing right now. Uh, different ethnicities that we're seeing planted. But our, our suburb churches and things like that, the well is beginning to dry out. So as a, as a church plant director, I'm starting to think like, well, how do we prime that pump again? Like, how do we, how do we get people that are in a leadership track and are being discipled so that we can begin planting churches again, which is really the basics for what I'm talking about today. But number two, observation. The pastor well is beginning to dry out. You know, I mentioned it on, on stage, and this is called the great resignation, where we're just seeing so many pastors step away, and we're not seeing a lot of pastors that are ready to take over and step into the places that, where people have just resigned. If you look at our job board on our website for the FLD, there's a lot of senior pastor roles that are there and have been there for a while. The pastor well is beginning to dry out. I was talking to youth leaders um, just a couple weeks ago, and they were saying that 10 years ago, when they had conversations in their youth group, there was a lot of people that were talking about, like, when I grow up, I want to be a youth pastor. Or when I grow up, I want to be serving in ministry in some capacity. They said that conversation has just about ended. They're not hearing that anymore. I mean, of all the stuff I talk about, I think that's probably the thing that scares me the most, is our youth are not talking about serving in ministry anymore. That's a big deal. Worship leaders. Um, when I served at Redeemer City Church as a pastor in Madison area, we had a, a job out there for a worship leader, and we had it up there for more than a year and could not make a hire. And I talked to another church that is much bigger than ours in Minneapolis and has way more resources than we do, and they were the exact same boat as we were of not being able to find a worship leader. We have an ethnic church plant in Madison, and I was trying to find uh, some worship help for them, so I talked to some local churches. And I thought, you guys certainly have, you know, people you're developing that maybe don't have the skills that want to, like, practice. And they, they said, we'll just take anybody. Like, just give me a heartbeat of somebody who can play, like, three chords and get up there and lead worship. And I talked to one of the local churches, and he said, we're in the same boat as they are. Like, if it's not the lead pastor who's, who's leading in worship, they, they don't have anybody right now. And as I was having conversations with worship leaders and church leaders about this, one of the things that we, we kind of discovered is, is when you start to see this exit out of this, this, last, um, this last season that we just went through, a lot of people that are exiting are these number four on the Enneagram, these um, melancholy creative types that are leaving our churches, and that's a lot of our worship leaders. The worship leader, well, is drying out. Our FLD staff is number five. We often get asked to preach in other churches. And I don't want you to hear me wrong on this. Like, we love, love, love to visit other churches, and we love to preach and get to know the congregations. But we're finding that it's often a need more than it is just a relationship, where there's nobody else besides a senior pastor who is able to preach in those churches. We have a leadership problem. And then finally, I want to end with this one. When I meet with pastors who have struggled over the last few years, a lot of times it is because of a particular elder on their board that is causing this problem. And when I have those conversations, I, I always, the first question I always answer, and actually there's, there's somebody in this room that I've actually asked this question to, I say, let me guess, they're a small business owner. And the answer is always, yeah, how did you know that? Like I'm so, so prophetic or something. And the reason, reason is, is because sometimes we look at the church and, and instead of going back and saying, what is a biblical qualification for an elder? We say, well, we run a business. This guy's doing a pretty good job here. I'm not saying that a small business owner shouldn't be an elder because there's a good chance that we have some godly men who are qualified to be elders that run small businesses. But if that is our qualification because they know how to run a business, guess what that's going to do to our churches? And guess what that's going to do when the pastor doesn't feel cared for or when when sheep in the church are not being shepherded properly. We need to go back to a, a biblical qualification on who an elder is. So that's just a, a few of the problems that make me think as I'm looking around at our district and even across national, like I talk to other church plant directors and other people in, our, in the EFCA and, and they're all running at the same things, like the church planter well is, is drying up everywhere. So let's, vision cast a little bit. That's the, that's the problem casting, so let's vision cast. But to do that, I want to 
have you open up your Bibles to Matthew 9. It was already read from the stage earlier today, so apparently we're all kind of talking on the, the same uh, platform here. But in Matthew 9, I'm going to get to the end, but let me just give you a little bit of background of what's leading up to this in, in chapter 9. Uh, Jesus begins his teaching ministry in chapter 5, and you know, he's got the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like three chapters full of this this just really rich teaching, and he begins this teaching ministry, and then that ends in chapter 7, and then in chapter 8, Jesus begins his healing ministry. And you see Jesus going around um, and visiting everywhere, and he's, he cleanses the leper, he heals the sick, he casts out demons, he heals the paralytic, he raises a girl from the dead, he heals two blind men, he heals a man unable to speak. Jesus heals many. And then we get to the end of chapter 9, after all this teaching and healing, and in verse 35, Matthew just kind of sums up what Jesus had done and what Jesus has been doing. He says in verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So we see Jesus, he's going, he's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel, and he's healing. Right? That's, that's what he's doing. That's his ministry up to this point. And then in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let me just stop right there for a moment. Jesus had done all of that. All this teaching, the proclaiming the gospel, like healing all kinds of people, casting out demons. And yet, he looks upon the crowds and he sees that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. you got to think like the crowds at that point, they had leaders, right? They, they had systems and structures that were in place, and yet they're harassed and helpless. They're, they're beaten down. They're, they're trampled upon. And, and Jesus looks and he has compassion on them. So then Jesus immediately comes out with a solution for that. And he says in verse 37, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest. And I love that. This could be perhaps because Jesus knows, like, you know, my time is temporary, so I need to get some other workers out here. Or he looks at it and go, I can do this healing ministry for the rest of my life. And yet there's still going to be people that are harassed and helpless. So the answer to this is I need you to pray for workers to be sent out into the harvest. And we can stop right there, right? We can just say, okay, that's, that's our job, to pray for workers. That is, that is part of our job. But I love that this uh, section in, in Matthew doesn't, doesn't stop there, does it? The next part in chapter 10 he tells them to pray, but then he sends the 12 out in the field. Do you ever put that correlation together that immediately in the next chapter after Jesus tells them to pray that he sends his disciples out into the crowd? He sends them to the people who are harassed, harassed and helpless? So chapter 10 immediately switches gears to the sending of of the twelve, and when you skip through the rest of Matthew's book, you finish with Jesus' last words to his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. We are to go ourselves. The very essence of a disciple is one who goes and one who makes other disciples. So I want to dream for a little bit with you guys. And I hope that you can jump into this dream with me a little bit. Um, but I just problem casted with you guys for a while. I just talked about some of the issues we have in our district, um, the issues we have in our culture. So let's dream a little bit. Imagine the problem of leadership development in the shadow of churches who faithfully make disciple makers. Imagine a well of, of dried up 
church planters, I just made church planters sound like they're dried up. A well for church planters that's dried up in the shadow of churches that faithfully make disciple makers. See, I think we need to kind of just erase the board a little bit. We need to talk about like everything we're doing as churches, although many of these things are going to be great. And really, like, if we're going to focus on making disciples, we're going to go back to Jesus' commandment in Matthew 28 and faithfully make disciples. How are we going to do this? And that might take us erasing the board a little bit, getting rid of some things that we do really well and that we're really proud of in order to be able to do that. Because we need to raise up disciples who become leaders, who become church planners, who become missionaries. And it begins with making disciples themselves. All right, so what does this what does this look like? And I'll get into some practical stuff in just a little bit. Um, I mentioned a little while ago that I'm a high school golf coach, and we have a pretty good team. I coach at Oregon High School, which is just south of Madison. We were ranked ninth in the state by, by this coach's opinion, but the coach's poll, we were 13th. Um, and don't even get me into the, the politics of the coach's poll, um, because there's, never mind, we're not going to go there. I started to go there. I'm like, I'm not going to get into it. Um, but we had we had the ninth best team in the state. But the interesting part is for for girls golf is a lot of the teams that are really good are there every single year. Uh, we we are in the same sectional. The last two years we've had a really good team, and we've just missed going to state because we have Wanakee and Middleton in our sectional, and only two teams go. Uh, so we are always looking up at them. And every year I look at Middleton's roster, and I'm like, next year we got them because they're losing their best golfer and they're losing their number four golfer and we're only like 14 strokes behind them. Next year we got them and what do they do? They just plug and play from their bench. They're, they're JV, they just plug and play and they're just as good the next year as they were the year before and it is sickening. <laughs> it is frustrating. But why do they do that? You know, as a, as a golf coach, if I just wait until somebody comes into high school and then I'm gonna teach them how to play golf, guess how many times I'm gonna go to state? Zero. Uh, the teams that are good have a good farm system and they're developing kids to enjoy and love the game of golf from the time they're young. So when they get into high school, they already know how to play golf and they're already good. So as a coach, all you got to do is make these good golfers better, right? Because they have a good farm system. So when I think about like us as a district and making disciples, like what if we had a good farm system for making disciples? What if instead of like hiring leaders, like if we need a new pastor, we don't have to have some guy from another denomination, from another state, come in and fill our pulpit? Or when we do a residency in our church, we're not getting some kid from Colorado that's coming back to be closer to his family, which is all good, by the way. But what if we had a farm system that was just all the time raising up disciples and raising up leaders so that we could just pull from the harvest? rather than buying a leader from somebody somewhere else. So my whole push for you guys today is we need to figure out a farm system for raising up disciples. And I know many of you guys are doing that already, but what would it look if we put more resources and more time and more leadership into a farm system for disciples? So that we have people that look like Jesus and want other people to look like Jesus as well. All right, so let's um, let's get into a, a little bit. Of, uh, I'll get off my soapbox here. We'll get into a little bit of practical <coughs> stuff. Um, one, uh, we're not going to spend time on this today because I knew if we spent time on this today, we would never fully get into the rest of the stuff I want to talk about. Um, but when you you have to have a target, like if you want to make a disciple, you need to figure out what a disciple actually looks like. Like if if you're going to go back and measure how you're doing. You got to figure out what are we trying to develop here. So, so landing on a target. What did the disciple look like? So, I encourage if if you got other people from your team here, if you're going to go back and talk about this, like really come up with a definition of what a disciple looks like, so you know what the target is and you know when you're hitting it. So that's that's the first thing. And uh, maybe if we have time at the end, we'll get back to it. But I, I, 100%, I know that we're not going to have time to get back to that. Um, the second thing is is that we need to create a little bit of space to be able to do this. If your church has existed for 25 years, 
I know that if you even present this idea of like, hey, we need to get more serious about making disciples, like your leadership team is going to look around and go, who's got, who's got time for that? What, what leader has, has time to do that, right? It's, it's going to be hard for you to be able to pitch. So what does it look like to be able to create a little space for this? I think a great example of this is uh, during the COVID season, the Coca-Cola company, and perhaps you, you read this, it was in like Business Weekly or, or something online that I read this, but during COVID, the leaders of Coca-Cola got together and they, they threw all of their products on the table. Like everything that they, they produce, and they probably ticked off a lot of people doing this because I'm sure there was some like tab lover that that's their favorite soda in the whole wide world, but they. They threw everything on the table and they thought, what is actually like giving us life and energy and making us profits as a company? And they got rid of 200 products, which was literally like half of what they produced. They got rid of, you know how many people they probably made mad getting rid of 200 products that, I don't know if you've had that happen before, but your very favorite thing. I used to love Welch's grape soda. It was the best grape soda in the world and I got rid of it, they don't make it anymore. And I was mad, but they got rid of half of their inventory so that they could focus on what was really important and what was making them profit. I think as churches, we need to do a little bit of this as well. Like if we want to fix this leadership problem, like maybe we need to just throw everything on the table. Everything that, that we are, are doing as churches so that we can figure out how to, how to create a little bit of space for us to be able to work on this. Uh, Will Mancini, hopefully... Uh, you guys know who he is. He, he stresses the importance of having a missional map within your church. In other words, he suggests an intentional pathway to disciple the people in your church. And he says that 98% of churches don't have a good pathway for being able to do this. 98 is his estimation. That they don't, um, they have neglected developing this level of clarity in their discipleship process. This map shows how each of the ministries fit together to accomplish the mission. So a couple of the problems um, in this, Mancini uh, gives a, a guest scenario that reveals a threefold problem for churches with no strategy map. They have too many ministries or program options. The ministry options have no, relational, uh, re no relationship to one another, like the, the ministries don't connect. Uh, and the ministries themselves have no connection to the mission. There's just so many things that are like happening out here on the outside that is not bringing you to the main goal in your mission statement. Like, have you ever heard about that, that um, you have a mission statement on your wall, but it's not what's happening down the hall? That's what happens when you have all these, these ministries on the side that don't necessarily point you to where your target is. So what I would love to do is we're gonna do, um, I mean, it's called a workshop, so why not make it like a workshop? Um, but just gather around with some people and I want you to just talk about like all the things that your church does and have somebody write it down. If you have like a, a group from your church here, it's probably good for you guys to, to reflect on this a little bit. But I want you to, to write down everything you do as a church. Just go ahead and make a big list and then we're going to go through the list after that. So take about five minutes to do that. Thank you. 
Done, start thinking through like does everything point to like if we were to to really focus on making disciples does this actually help us to be able to get there does that point us in the right direction 
to cut you guys short just because there's more stuff I want to get to today and I know there wasn't enough time but that's that's pretty easy right everybody just made a list and it was easy to just cut out some things of your ministries and what you're doing I um I had a friend of mine that used to go in and help uh, churches revitalize and uh, he would always tell me these fun stories where he would go in and uh the, the people on the team for revitalization would be like, we will do anything to get young people in this church. And he would start with things like, well, have you considered like getting rid of your pipe organ? They'd be like, wow, there's no way we can get rid of our pipe organ. They'd be like, well, I know, no, you don't have any kids, but what about like starting a children's ministry? Why, well, we don't have any kids here. Like people are gonna miss worship to be able to have kids ministry. Like anything that he threw on the table, they'd be like, they're so gung-ho to change anything to be able to make that happen. But they can't cut anything out to be able to do that. So I would love to just hear from some examples. Like, is, is, there, some, is there anybody who actually made a list and you saw some things of like, wow, this doesn't really help us get to our goal of making disciples? Well, I didn't even write this one down, but we have a Saturday night service that's really poorly attended and uh, that's just something I'm thinking about okay it's not exactly a ministry but it's just yeah but it's taking time and resources and yeah we've, we've taken children's ministry out of it because we needed to and now it's just sort of on life support probably kill it. Okay. yeah yeah Anybody else? We didn't talk about this either, but I think uh, we've tried to limit one-time events. Like those, if the, the programs are kind of regular, you see more fruit from, but the random ones that kind of are a one-night Friday night thing, and before you know you add them all up to different ministries, and you have a lot of them going on. Which we look at the fruit of it, and they're really effective. People had a good time, but they're really making more disciples from it. Have you ever found those? Yeah. 
come. So I hand up here. Yeah, we have a food pantry, and now with COVID, it's come with the car, and that's why we don't have a chance to go and speak to them. Sometimes they have to go to the car and speak to them, but now, uh, as you're talking, we can uh, start getting them inside while they waiting. We can connect with them and stop present the gospel. That's why we are there, not just give food. Yeah. Yeah. I love uh, Jim Gaffigan. He's one of the only clean comedians I can listen to with my, my kids. And he said when they had their fifth child, he said, I want you to know, like we're having a fifth child, and it doesn't mean that we love you, any of you, any less, but we're going to have to give one of you up. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of like what it is when we, we begin to come up with this list. It feels like give, getting rid of a child or something to be able to cut something down, right? But if, if you want to really focus in that direction, you need to come up with some tough leadership choices. Uh, it's going to be some some hard meetings. There's going to be somebody who's really upset in your room. But I'm telling you, like, if we want to get serious about discipleship, it cannot just be an add-on. Like, if you're just going to add on another program or something in your church, it is going to fall flat on its face. And I think that's part of the reason why we say that we're churches that make disciples and make disciples, but that isn't necessarily what's happening because it's become an add-on. It's just another classroom off the hallway. So I'm, I'm going to talk about a few things, um, and this comes from our, our church plant uh, uh, training, by the way, and um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, another training we're going to have for leaders to be able to install this in uh, your churches a little bit later. Um, but we do a, a, a church plant training, and these are some of the things, these paradigm shifts uh, for transformational discipleship that we'll need to change in our churches for us to be able to do this well. Um, shift number one is from a one-size-fits-all approach to a customizable, personal approach. And I think this is, this is where we get in danger as churches. Like, we just want to think of, like, oh, this is big church in San Diego, so let's just adopt whatever they're doing for discipleship, and we'll make it work in our context, even though they're from a big city and we're from a small rural town, and, and we'll just make it work. And I will also say that no matter which discipleship kind of training you do for your leaders, um, and any kind of discipleship you do for disciples in your church, it has to be customizable to the person as well because everybody's different. And we see this even in Jesus' ministry. When, in John 3, when he talks to Nicodemus, and then in John 4, he talks to the woman at the well. Those are, those are two different discipleship plans. You know, there's going to be people with a religious background that have an idea of what it is that you apply, but there's going to be people who have no religious background at all. And we're going to see this happening more and more because... We have a generation of young people that are growing up that have never heard the gospel before ever. So to have a different discipleship plan for discipling different kinds of people. Uh, shift number two, from giving information to facilitating transformation. I think this is one of the biggest mistakes we've made in our churches over the years is we just make it a class. Like just show up for the discipleship class and then we'll get you plugged into pushing slides on a Sunday morning and you're officially arrived as a disciple. Like transformation has to take place. It's not going to take place. Not that there's anything wrong with the classroom, but if that's all you're doing for discipleship, you will not make disciples who make disciples. This is kind of a to be, but I wanted to throw this in uh, as a, a model as well. Like, uh, I, me personally, like I think about men who discipled me growing up, and that is not something I would want to duplicate to other people. Um, some of us have seen that modeled really well. But for the most of us, we have never seen making disciples modeled properly. So that begins with a leader. Often people in our churches, they're like, no, 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 it's, it's the, the paid staff's job to make disciples. It's not our job. And then you're like, no, 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 it's my job to, you know, create these programs and preach on a Sunday. And it's your job to go make disciples. And it really, it's got to start with us. Like as pastors and leaders in our church, we have to model this ourselves. Um, then shift number three. From making disciples to building disciple makers. Now, this is so important because I, I feel like a lot of times we do this, and I've already mentioned this, is that when we bring somebody through a training, the end goal is just to try to get them serving on a Sunday morning. And our Sunday, morning, Sunday mornings are super important, uh, but we've made it the end all. Like this is the best thing that is going to happen in the week. And sometimes we think that we're going to just disciple people with our, our sermon on a Sunday morning. And that's going to be enough for them. Um, but we need to shift from not only just making disciples, but teaching them and modeling to them 
how to make other disciples. We start looking at the, the mission field that we're praying for workers to be sent out in, and we start thinking about that as, as a multiplication rather than addition. It's going to be a massive change. We make disciple makers who make disciples to make disciples. Um, all right. I'm going to do, well, I'm going to have to pick one exercise because I, we got like 12 minutes left. Um, okay, I was going to have us break into small groups and start making a pathway together. That will happen, have to happen another time. But I just want to talk about, anybody want to be a recorder? Actually, I'll, I'll just look at you. Will you record some stuff on here? I want you to think about, like, if you were to install this in your church and you guys were going to get really serious about making disciples, um, like really serious, like it's the most important thing you do and you're going to take a lot more of your resources and your leadership and your, your time, you're going to be able to pour into this, what, what are the obstacles that are going to get in your way from this being accomplished? Let's just throw some out there. Rapid fire. Table discussion. Round tables. Busyness. Oh, yeah. Should we, should we just stop right there? Or? The American culture. The American culture, yeah. Tradition. Tradition. Say that one more time. The church culture. The church culture, yeah. Not seeing the importance of it. Not seeing, not seeing the importance of it. I'm trying to repeat all these so the recorder can pick it up. This is being recorded, by the way. The lack of buy-in from the leadership. Yeah. Lack of buy-in from the leadership. Lack of buy-in for the leadership. I didn't repeat that one loud enough. Just the suction of the political environment that we live in. Just the conversations are um, so easily go to liberal conservatives. Sucks everything into that grid. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's other things that we're more passionate about than oh knowing Jesus and making him. No, no, that's that's dumb as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of these to me fall under the idea of fear. We're unwilling to make changes or adjustments or name any one of those things because we're afraid that nobody will tithe anymore or nobody will show up to the events, etc. Yeah, yeah. Fire insurance salvation. Yep. Yeah, just, just get in the door and that's good enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. The church culture, but I think a lot of our people are trying to isolate themselves from the world as opposed to engaging the world. Yeah. That's a hard shift. Yeah, I think as, as church leaders, it's been one of the most frustrating things when we go through a season like this and then you see your people in your church attacking people on Facebook rather than seeing, having compassion on them and seeing them as harassed and helpless and bringing the good news that can pull them out of there, right? That's good. Being in a rural community, it's, it's self-resiliency. We just got to do it myself. Basically. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's a lot of obstacles. I'm like, did I spell that right? Probably not. Close. <laughs> we know it's this decipher. I think there's a. Can you help me out? I'll be Oh, there you go. I think that's it. Otherwise, we're just resilency, right? <laughs> um, you did a great job. You did I'm a great not a job. Scholar. I'm not an encourager. Like I just <laughs> put her down for helping me out. Thank you. All right. Well, I I want to share. Um, a blog that I read recently that, that kind of knocked my socks off for this, and uh, hopefully will knock yours off as well. Um, but there was a there was a study done a few years ago when they talked about like the biggest obstacles, and this whole study, at the end of it, they came up with the biggest contributing factor of of really installing a, a disciple making movement in your church was was busyness. So I wasn't surprised that that was the first one that came up and the one that probably got the most head nods out of the group too, right? Because we see that in our churches. We're just so busy, we don't have time uh, for anything else. And I, man, I, I say yes and amen to that because I see that busyness um, all the way around. But, but this blog, I said, like, they said, like, we agree in this busyness, but let's, let's just take this to another level a little bit. And I, I love 
this blog. I, I can look it up and try to figure out who it was. Maybe on Discipleship Org or something I, I read it. But um, sometimes you got to, like, Tim Keller, your, your ideas. You know, if you know that about Tim Keller, like, Tim is always like, all right, if that's your sin, like, what's, what's the sin beneath the sin? Like, what's, what's the heart issue behind this? And, and this guy who wrote this blog said that the biggest obstacle to making disciples is the disease of indifference. The, the thing we see on the outside is the busyness, right? The people are just so busy. But the heart issue is that people are, are indifferent with that. And he says that it turns out that collectively, we just don't care much about knowing Christ and making him known. We are far more interested in Netflix, sports, Candy Crush, TikTok. than God and his kingdom and his, his kingdom purposes. That hurts. You know, I found myself as a leader like sucked away to all of these things except for the Candy Crush. I had to Google it. I had no idea what Candy Crush <laughs> Praise the Lord, I don't know what Candy Crush is, but everything else on here got me. But it's not necessarily business, uh, busyness. It is that we have given our hearts away to other things to captivate our attention and our loves. And our love needs to come back to Jesus and his gospel. So the first thing for you guys is how do you instill that in your people? How do you bring them, how do you make them passionate that they would rather go make a disciple than watch Netflix and sit at home for three or four hours on a, on a Monday night? How does that happen? I know for me, like, I need to do that in my own heart before I can do that in the hearts of others. But I think it's helpful as we look out at our congregations and our people, and even people who are, are far from Jesus, that we're trying to convert and then make disciples out of that. It's like, we've got to think about it. There's, there's this there's indifference where we have given our hearts away, and we love other things. All right, we have five minutes left. Here's how I would love to end our time. Um... First of all, before, before we pray, I just want to re-emphasize this. Is I just want you to see a world where we have, have churches that are just bubbling over with leaders. Like, we have no idea what to do with our leaders. We have so many leaders in our churches. And there's no problem with planting churches. We don't have to call around to other states because there are so many church planners that are gifted and have been given the experience to preach in our churches and who have discipled others and been faithful with the gospel. And that needs to start with making disciples. It's got to start. It's, it's so simple, and yet we fail to do it, but it's got to start with making disciples in our churches. So we need a leadership, uh, somebody to take this on, somebody that could be a cheerleader that you know is going to run with this and not let it die and not six months down the road look at it and go, well, that didn't work. You need to identify those cheerleaders, those people who are passionate about making disciples, and then building teams around them so that they can build other disciples as well. And let me just say, like, there's one practical way that we're doing this um, in the EFCA. We're starting something called, um, it's changed names like three times because nobody likes the name, and I still don't like the name, but I like what it's all about. Um, cultivate Cohorts. And what it is, it's a, it's a three-month six-week training for leadership in your church in order to be able to come up with these pathways and identify these roadblocks and figure out a way to make disciples in your church. And it's got to start with a, a leadership team who can instill that into other people and keep handing it off. Um, so I can, um, I will pull it up on my phone. And if you want to take a picture, I have a QR code and there's a, a sign up for there, but it'll probably start in the new year. And it's something that I'm, I'm super excited about. And uh, it will probably be like a, a trial run basis. So anybody is interested in being in on the front end before we have all the, all the creases so ironed out. This is a beta program then for them? This is a, a beta program. So the basic idea is that we, we love our, our church plan training so much. Um, and we, we have some people that have uh, gone through that and really enjoyed that. And we're like, we do discipleship in there and, and talk about making disciples. And we're like, we really need to talk to churches that have been in this for five plus years that need to kind of go back to the basics and, and so so it's it's really for gathering your leadership and having a, a small group of people to be able to go through this together so that you can 
instill this. We're, we're not the ones that are going to be in your churches making disciples, uh, but we can help develop some of those leaders so that you can do that yourselves and come up with your own plan. Like it's got to be um, unique to your setting and, and your people as well. So um, I'll pull up the QR code. I would love three people to just stand up and pray for us in this because we need to pray for workers. We just talked about that in the beginning. But seriously, if we're not we're, if we're not praying for this and really desiring and asking God for this, this this isn't going to happen. So can I get just three volunteers to pray for us in this? All right, I got one back here. Two, three, right here. All right, let's pray, Pastor. First of all, um, God speak all language. Okay. Understand Spanish. Amen. Dios te damos gracias en este momento por la gran oportunidad que nos da de estar aquí en este lugar. Gracias porque un día escuchamos tu llamado y dijimos, en aquí, y somos parte de esos obreros que tú has llamado. Pero hoy, Dios, necesitamos obreros en la vida. Necesitamos hombres y mujeres que digan, aquí estoy, como dijo Isaías. Necesitamos hombres y mujeres dispuestos a entrar al campo, a trabajar. Vemos nuestras congregaciones con hombres y mujeres que tienen el valor, pero no te quieren decir que sí. Mueve esos corazones para que ellos, Dios mío, hagan el trabajo a lo cual tú le estás llamando desesperadamente. Danos a nosotros sabiduría para que podamos nosotros ser de iniciativa a esas personas. Bendice este grupo, bendice a nuestro hermano que está dando la conferencia. Bendice nuestras congregaciones. Te lo pido en el nombre de Jesús. Amen. Lord Jesus, you came into Jerusalem through the cries of Hosanna. And we, we cry Hosanna too. It's a cry of help. It's a cry of hope. And Lord, um, you said you will build your church. And we, we want to be, we want to be in that business. We want to mm -hmm. be in that call. Lord, I pray that you will grant us the repentance to lay down the things that need to go. And that we would take up this take up this challenge. And Lord, I know from my own church, we're here, we want this. And I pray that you will help us Amen. and help those who are here because you are our hope and you are our help. And so Lord, we depend upon you. Show us where to surrender, what to surrender, and give us the vision, we pray. Oh, Lord, you gave us the vision. Let us step out on it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, as we heard this morning of encouragement <coughs> for the things that you're doing already, help us to keep our eyes open that we see where you're working, yeah. and we come alongside you and join you. It's it's all about you. And Lord, help us to remember why we're here today. We're here to share what we've, we've experienced ourselves, the salvation that you've given us, and help us to remember why we want to do this. We want others to know you Give us the strength, give us the, the vision to do that. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Forest Lakes District Podcast. To connect with us or for more resources like this one, you can visit our website, www.forestlakes-efca.org.